Hey everybody, this is Skip Cohen, and you are right where you need to be, hanging out on the Angry Millennial Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers, All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now, guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at ClickGearClothingLTD. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we have Oscar-nominated screenwriter Tab Murphy. Tab, thanks for taking the time out today. Ah, uh, pleasure, a pleasure. <laughs> so I know uh, one of our previous guests we've had on, actually a repeat guest, uh, Renee Robin, was the one who kind of uh, put us put us in touch. Renee is a good friend and, an, uh, as you know, yeah. awesome photographer. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had lived in Canada for the past 10 years, so uh, I didn't even realize she was from Edmonton when I got to know her. So. Oh, wow. Look at that. Small world, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, but she is awesome. She is one of the best. Great. Great. So, Tab, let's get right into it. Tell us a bit about how it all started for you creatively. You know, what came first? Was it always the, the writing or, or was it, you know, something else? Well, I think it was the writing. I... I you know, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, south of Seattle in, in uh, Olympia, Washington, oh, okay. the state yeah. capital. And at a time, I, you know, I grew up in the 60s and it was, it was a great time to grow up there because it's still, it was small town. It mm-hmm. still was innocent. And I just, there was so many stories floating around that I became aware of, mm-hmm. uh, whether through you know, just the region where I lived or through my own family. And so I was always drawn to storytellers and and listening to stories. And so I think that really was, you know, probably the very kernel of where it began. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, you know, whether it was Bigfoot lurking in the, in the (laughs) North woods or, you know, a great story of a, of a, of a loner at the turn of the century who was, became the, you know, subject of a huge manhunt up in our little neck of the woods. And, uh, uh, just, just great, you know, just great stories always floating around our family. Nice. So, but for me personally, I think it, it was the writing. It, it, I, you know, I, I loved creative writing at a mm-hmm. time when, you know, I was in middle school and high school at a time when all my friends were riding motocross and <laughs> doing other things and hated the, hated the English classes. I love them. Right. I love them. Nice. So nice. Yeah. That's good to know. I mean, a lot of times for a lot of people, especially like um, photographers, even it's something else. Like a lot, a lot of people we talked to were like graphic designers and then mm-hmm. kind of segued into photography 
um, or even vice versa. I know for my girlfriend, she was a photographer first and then, and then became a graphic designer. Uh, so I always wonder, like for me, I was always into photography, but for me, a lot of what came first was writing and then, and then came drawing and painting. And then it wasn't until my end of college that I got, and I picked up a camera and, uh, and then did that for, you know, 10 years now. So it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I've recently kind of reinvigorated my love for writing, um, and have been, you know, uh, writing kind of long form content on, on just kind of big picture ideas in terms of being a creative in general. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I know for what you do, it's a bit, I would say a bit more, uh, refined in the sense of having to keep a a storyline and a theme and, and piecing it all together. And we'll get into that. Um, but something I must ask mostly because my kids will never forgive me if I don't, how was working on teen Titans go? (laughs) Oh, are you kidding? Teen Titans go. Listen, I mean, how often do you get a chance to write about, uh, you know, a parasite living on one of your favorite teen Titans? And I mean, who would turn that down? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That, you know, I've had a lot of fun, uh, writing for Warner animation over the years and, I did. Uh, I was heavily involved in the reboot of Thundercats a few oh, years very ago. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I did a, a you know a few DC animated mm-hmm. movies for them, the Batman Year One and Batman Superman Apocalypse. So I've just always had a lot of fun uh, with them, and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing Teen Titans Go. And I have kids too, Jose. So yeah, <laughs> I exactly, have, I have six. So oh, wow. When, yeah. So when you know, when I get asked to do those kinds of things, you know, I, I don't think of myself as, oh, I'm an Oscar nominated screenwriter. <laughs> How could I ever lower myself to writing tea time? I embrace yeah. that. Yeah, I embrace course. I embrace that shit, dude, because yeah. that it is so much fun and it, it appeals to the the kid in me. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Right. So yeah. that's great. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is like a lot of times I think as as creatives, when we uh, actors even, right? When you, when you see them, when they have kids, you see a noticeable shift in the work they'll take on, the work they'll do. And in reality, like you said, it just comes down to wanting to do fun stuff that you know your kids will love, that you share with your kids or something like that. And, and why not? That's great. So Well, yeah. and speaking to that point, you know, I've been involved in many animated movies. And, yeah. you know, when it comes time to casting, you absolutely target people with kids. Yeah. I mean, you know, you go, Oh, Brad Pitt would never voice this. Well, hello. He had, (laughs) yes, he would, because just what you're saying, uh, people like to, you know, they want, they want to produce work that their kids can see and appreciate. So it's exactly, you know, so you, you worked on, you said, uh, Batman, Superman apocalypse. So have you, have you seen the recent new live movie? Yes, I have. What are your thoughts? Come on. Uh, well, I wasn't look, crazy about it, but no, I, look, I, you know, I'm all for sort of, I have no problem with gritty and dark toned and dark right. themed and urban mm-hmm. kind of, but to me that was never Superman. Yeah. Uh, so I get that there's a, a, a you know, desire to take the character in a new direction mm-hmm. and maybe feeling, uh, you know, that it, that, iteration of Superman has been mined to the, to its depths. And so let's, you know, create, but look, you could, you know, Frank Miller 
you know, he turned Batman on his nose too. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he took it to a, so I think the jury's still out for me personally. Um, yeah, it just, it, Superman is always truth, justice in the American way on some level. It's just kind of in the DNA of the character. So to try to, you know, force him into a, a, a much darker, uh, you know, sort of role, it wasn't quite working for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I mean, like, to me, it was I've always loved like the Dark Knight series. You know, when they kind of yes. re- rebooted it in a sense, and like you said, made it a bit darker. Uh, and I'm not a huge comic book guy, but I know they based it on the Dark Knight series. You know, which was a much darker comic and that kind of stuff. But it, you know, like you said, then then it because let's be honest, the '90s for Batman was kind of a joke. I mean, they were yeah 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 bright and colorful, and they were supposed to be like the original ones were very dark. Then they went too dark with Batman Returns, and they. They overcorrected and went way too poppy for for families and that kind of thing, and and it was just a joke. And I think that's why you had like what four Batman's in ten years, you know? What I'm yeah, yeah, them? exactly. Because no exactly. one wanted to be attached to that for too long. It, yeah, so it was just it was interesting. And then just when people were like, "Okay, Christian Bale is Batman," that's our new reality, and they're like, "Ben Affleck," I'm like, "Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, well. Well, you know, Chris Nolan had, you know, he had a hammerlock on the franchise for, and, and, you know, nobody can, you know, dispute the success of those movies. And I love them. I thought they were great. I mean, but it's really, you know, this, this idea of taking a lot of characters that you and I grew up with that were in a world, a comic book world of fun and fantasy. and, And, and yes, even, you know, in those worlds, Batman was a little darker, but really pulling them into the sort of gritty, realistic, you know, sort of versions yeah. of of here and now. But I think, you know, I really believe that all movies like that, mm-hmm. all interpretations like that are a reflection of the times we live in. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you look at the 90s Batmans and the 80s and the, and, and the Chris Nolan Batmans, and they're all sort of a reflection of where we are in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what that says about Batman versus Superman and, <laughs> and the state of the world, but uh, yeah. right. No, for sure. So you, you, speaking of animated, you had a great stint at Disney for I did. A, a long time. And you had, you had your hand in some memorable titles like the hunchback of Notre Dame, Tarzan, Atlantis, you know, so what, what was that like? I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, having kids and, and working on teen Titans go. So what was it like working for such an icon, you know, having kids of your own and then, and then leaving? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to understand that I came to LA and I, you know, my, my first love was live action movies. And so I, you know, mm-hmm. all of my career, I was focused on, you know, writing live action movies. I wanted to direct movies and, and, and there, there was a, a period when um, Disney was uh, trying to really reinvent themselves in the yeah. world of animation. And, and a lot of uh, people that I had worked with previously at other studios, mainly Jeffrey Katzberg, Eisner and those guys, they had gone over to Disney and taken over. And, and, and so I was just, you know, a writer that they were asking to come in and see what it was all about, mm-hmm. right? Writing for animated features. Mm-hmm. And this was right about the time little mermaid was getting released. And, okay. and that, that really was the harbinger of the, of the Renaissance of, of, of Disney animation. I mean, that was, you know, with little mermaid. 
But I was so focused on live action. And to me, listen, I mean, honestly, they were like cartoons. I didn't want to write cartoons. I was, you know, I, I, you know, I had really no interest. And so it took a while for me to finally agree to go in and, and just even chat about the idea of it. And I remember we had that first meeting and they laid out a few of their projects that, you know, and to see if there was in, to gauge my interest. And I just was like, no, not, you know, nothing was really, you know, sparking to mm-hmm. me. Uh, and then literally at the, toward the end of the meeting, they said, oh, and we want to do something with this too. And they sort of threw the coffee table, I mean, the telephone book on the table and it was the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Now, I grew up loving horror movies and monster movies and, you know, but, you know, like old school, like mm-hmm. universal monster movies yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, all the old Hammer films and that sort of, So even though The Hunchback wasn't necessarily a monster, he was considered part of that canon, right? Yeah. Lon mm-hmm. Chaney Sr.'s version and then, you know, on through. So I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I am so there. Let's do it. So that's really how it began. We And, and I had so much fun in on that particular project mm-hmm. that they kept asking me to do more. And I kept saying yes, because wow. it's such a collaborative uh, process, but you're working with artists, yeah. you know, the directors and the artists in the room. And mm-hmm. it was just like, it was, it was great. It That's really awesome. was really great. Yeah. And you said it, I mean, that to me, that period, right. The nineties uh, on into the two thousands was to me really the, the, the transition where, like you said, animated movies became more like live action movies in the way that the plot went and and the character development and stuff like that. I mean, and you look now today, I mean, I just recently saw, um, what's the Zootopia with my kids. Right, that right. Was amazing. I mean, have you seen oh, it? No, I haven't. You know, okay. my kids have. I My kids have. They were all down here for spring break. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know. And, uh, but they'd already seen it. So, but I have to see that. I hear it's no, great. It's great. It's great. I don't want to give away too much, but, um, one of the things I thought was great was the underlying theme was like corruption, you know? And I go, wow, that's pretty deep for, you know, an animated movie. Yeah. And then you think of like, uh, I don't know if you've seen Inside Out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that one, I, I, it was heavy as shit. Like I know I was, I was teared up yeah. being like, man, this is a great movie. And and to me, I think of they, what the, what happened was, I think around that time when you were involved was when they started saying, okay, it's unfair that parents go to these movies and they just like fall asleep, but they take their kids. Let's make it where they get a little bit of uh, of fun out of it, and you have you know the jokes that go over the kids' heads and stuff like that nowadays, sure. and 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 all that. But even more so, just even the 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 plots and the different um, tones they're taking on are, are much deeper. You know, I mean, inside absolutely, out, you could argue was mental awareness, mental health awareness, right? And then Zootopia was, um, you know, that that line, like I said, of of like police corruption and 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 uh, all that kind of stuff, and and also dealing with um, like labeling, you know, because yep. it was like, oh, if you were a predator, you're going to hurt people, that kind of stuff. So. It, yeah, and those are pretty pretty serious stuff. Whereas before, if you look at like Bambi and all the other ones, they were just kind of like very very broad and vague, you know. Where it was like, oh, it's, 
you know, his mother dies and then he has to live life and he realizes things are great. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know, speaking to that, I mean, when I came on board Hunchback, I mean, obviously the Hunchback of Notre Dame, I mean, uh, very adult themes yeah. running through that work. And, and you know, it, I was a little, how can you turn this into a fluffy Disney animated movie? Right. So there was a little hesitation on my part initially, but they were from the get go. Mm-hmm. They just said, embrace that shit, dude. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, obviously we're not going to make an R rated movie, but mm-hmm. embrace it until we de- deem that it's gone too far and we right. pull back a little bit. Right. So they were very encouraging. I mean, you look, you think about that movie and there's a, I'll never forget. There's, you know, Alan Menken and Steve Schwartz did the, the music and the lyrics and, they would they had come in and they had kind of blocked out where they thought these the songs could go in the you know the screenplay um and so we would have meetings constantly the directors and I and artists over the course of the weeks and occasionally this a a, a tape would come in of you know them here's a song right, right. just playing at the piano and you know the lyrics and the song I was in the director's office one day when the tape for the song Hellfire came in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember that, but it's a very, you know, it's a, I mean, the theme is longing, uh, you know, Frollo's desire for Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. It's burning him up inside yeah. sexual desire. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that the, the song is Hellfire and we listened to it. We sat in that room listening to it and our eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger. And at the end of it, the direct, I, I think it was Kirk who pressed the, you know, the pause button. He said, okay, that song is never going to make it into the movie. <laughs> right. But it did, yeah. it did make it into the movie. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so that was a real, that was a real change in the yeah. thought process of, of what was possible, not only in terms of an animated movie, but like you say, speaking as well to adults. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a, it was a great experience. Yeah. I mean, and, and to me, it even, uh, you mentioned uh, Little Mermaid, right? So yes. apparently, I don't know if you, I'm sure you'd have, but um, they're looking to make into a live action movie. Right. But they're not using the Disney version. They're using the original Fable. Hans Christian Andersen and yeah. version. Yes, right. And, and that's much darker. Oh, and, please. And, yeah. And you sit there and go, wow, this is not going to be like anything like what we originally you know, grew up with. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's going to be a, a you know a culture shock. But you know, like you said, at the same time, there is that you know yeah you have to have that separation where you say, well, okay, one was a clear children's adaptation of a very very adult uh, themed uh, uh, story, and now if they're going to make it a live action, I mean, yeah, you're going to have to go back to that, and it, and it's going to be really wild for a lot of people. Well, and, and again, this is just, uh, that's why I think a lot of uh, stuff coming out of Hollywood these mm-hmm. days is are, are remakes or uh, they're just mining old stories that have been around for a while and giving them a, a new sort of a new take, uh, whether it's, you know, going back to the source material and, and, and being faithful to an adaptation. Um, because, again, it's, you think about the movies made in the sixties uh, prior to the, just what I consider the golden era of Hollywood, which mm-hmm. to me was the late sixties, early seventies. 
you know, the movies, you, you look at 1965, 1967, you have the sound of music, you have movies like that, that really are feeling, you know, uh, you know, are, they're not reflective necessarily of what we were going through as a country and what young people were growing up around and seeing. Right. I don't get me wrong. I love the sound of music. In fact, Heather Menzies, who plays, I think, what was it Liesl? I'm not sure. She'll, she'll kill me for not knowing as a friend. So I would never say anything. I, you know, I love the sound of music, but the point is, you know, all that changed in 1969 with, you know, movies like easy rider and uh, suddenly, you know, young, younger filmmakers who had a different point of view and reflected more the society they were living in, got, you know, started making movies and then that just opened the floodgates dude right, right? so we got all those great movies of the yeah. early 70s into the mid 70s and so speaking of that i mean you know and i'm going to get into a little bit about you know your your, your directorial debut and that kind of stuff but do you notice any difference in your method writing for animated films versus traditional live action ones or is it just kind of like across the board it's the same and again like you said with with disney it was just, you get told, okay, reel it in a little bit, bring it back, or something like that. Well, actually, it's just the opposite of Disney. I mean, this is why I, I, I kept doing the Disney animated movies, mm-hmm. because they were, it, there, there was nothing and is nothing you can't do in animation. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a creative right. place, right? So it was like, instead of going into a live action uh, situation or a meeting or a, a you know, story meeting and, and you're really aware that you have a $30 million budget in this movie. So you're being asked to, you know, I, I, I've, you know, to pull things back or we can't afford that. Or in, at Disney, it was just the opposite. They were like, you know, pull a cork out of your imagination and just go for it. Let it, I mean, just, they really were encouraging to just, you know, go crazy. And, and then they would in turns let you know, well, you know, that we got to, we still have a brand. Mm -hmm. We are still Disney, but (laughs) right. right? So, uh, so yeah, we can't, you know, have sex scenes tab. So you might want to take those (laughs) out, but no, uh, but you know, really it was just such a a creatively thriving environment to work in. Yeah. And and I got addicted to it. Yeah. I mean, you, you do. You're just in the room and you're having you're talking story with the directors and the artists and you come up with an idea. And, you know, you across the room, you see the artists are already sort of like sketching it out. With stick figures, you know, sort of this idea you're having. And then, you know, you come into the meeting two days later and the storyboards are up on the wall already. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's that immediate and it's that like and you just go, okay, wow. Yeah, and yeah. and everybody feeds off of everybody else's creativity. And it's just a it's a it's one of those sort of like sweet spots that you always hope you get to inhabit mm-hmm. uh, throughout your career once yeah. in a while. You yeah. know? So No, you, you nailed it. I mean, I, I never thought of it like that where anything you can within reason, but anything you can come up with on the animated side is possible, right? Because it doesn't it doesn't impact the overall budget as much as, all right, if it's live action, especially back then, you know, CGI and green screening wasn't as popular. So so it was like the technology wasn't there. So everything you had to do, you know, in camera and, and, and live, so it would impact the budget that much more. 
uh, where you would think up stuff and then people would go, that sounds great, but we can't shoot that, <laughs> you know? Right, um, right, right. So exactly. That's, that's pretty interesting. All right. Well, and, yeah. and to build on the point you just made mm-hmm. now, because of, you know, all these advances in te- technology and I mean, live action movies, there's a lot of live action movies that are almost animated movies when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. I mean, they have live action actors, but most, you know, the background, I mean, so it's a real gray area now. Yeah. No, you still so, mentioned it, yeah. Yeah. So even in live action these days, it's becoming almost like anything is possible. Obviously you pay more, you have right. to pay more a little bit, but I've been really served because I was really worried. You know, I, I spent 10 years writing animated movies and I was really, there was a part of me that was concerned that people would forget that, Oh, you know, like I do live action. I, right. I love live action. Right. I, I write live action movies. That's my first love. Now, weirdly, all of that work I did in animation is serving me in the live action world. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I just, I just had a meeting the other day on a project, uh, which is an adapt, a live action adaptation of um, an anime series. Oh, wow. And I mean, that all they wanted to talk about was my animation background. I didn't want to talk about my live action stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's uh, it's a good place to be, uh, you know, uh, in that regard. Yeah. Having done a lot of that uh, right. kind of writing, so. yeah, make, make, like you said, it makes you more versatile and, and exactly, and especially when you like you mentioned it, where where you have this this kind of uh, merging of the two in the you know later and later on uh, in present day, where it, the lines are very blurred, you know. So it's almost like oh, it's great. You know, he he knows what we're trying to achieve and. He's been there and done it and, and you know, done both sides. And, and it's pretty interesting. Well, the other thing that that having worked in that machine, the mm-hmm. Disney machine for 10 years taught me was how to collaborate. Right. I mean, oftentimes as a live action screenwriter, you go in, you have a meeting or two. If there's a director attached, you might, you know, get his notes about the, you know, sort of his vision of the film. But you really go away and it's a very lonely process. Mm-hmm. And you turn that script in and you get notes and then you go away again Mm -hmm. and you do those notes and then you turn that script in and they say, well, thank you very much. And (laughs) you're pretty much, you know, moving on to the next thing. So, so the, the animation writing, it was so very collaborative from the get go and you felt a part of something. You felt actually a necessary part of a team Mm -hmm. and, Yes, I mean ultimately your contrib- you know your your day-to-day involvement diminishes because then they have to go off and spend 2 years waking making the movie, right? Right, right. But but for that period, uh you know you 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 feel valued. You mm-hmm. feel very included mm-hmm. and it's a and it's a, it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a yeah. wonderful process. Yeah. I I don't know I don't know why, but immediately when you were talking about that, I envisioned uh the movie Trumbo you know where uh, right, where he right, talks about right. he was ostracized literally <clears throat> and and was still writing and stuff like that and and wrote you know Roman Holiday and some of the greats that we for a long time never knew he was attached to and that kind of thing and, exactly and uh, and yeah I mean that's obviously a very extreme uh, version or uh, aspect but at the same time like you said it's it's that that the the live action process is a bit different than than the collaborative nature of the animated process so. You know, it's definitely something to to keep in mind. 
Now. Well, I, yeah. I was, I, you know, for a while I was so concerned that I'd been sort of uh, typecast as an animation writer. I, I considered, well, I'm going to have to use a pseudonym or something yeah. or write a script with a yeah, pseudonym yeah, just yeah, to yeah, remind yeah. people I can still do this, you know. Yeah. So I get the Trumbo thing. Yeah. That's what... So forestry and wildlife at Washington <laughs> State University. I got to hear about this. Okay. Well, <laughs> listen, I, you know, part of, I think we're all artists in some way. I mean, it's in our DNA to, to create. I mean, whether, you know, you go back and look at the paintings on the walls, the cavemen. I mean, we all have some part of us that that is creative, that needs yeah. to create. Um, but having, you know, and, and we're all shaped by forces that, uh, you know, we have no control over when we're young, whether it's where we live, whether it's the people in our lives, or the circumstances, whether those circumstances are great or they're not so great. or So all of those things inform who we become mm -hmm. and ultimately inform that part of our DNA that produces art, right? So, so I grew up in, you know, Washington State and I grew up, my, you know, in the outdoors, essentially. So I grew up hunting and fishing because it was part of the culture I lived in. Mm -hmm. And I grew up, you know, my dad would take us all backpacking every year. So I spent a lot of time in the mountains and my best friend and I growing up would go over the hill into the woods and play Jeremiah Johnson and, you know, pretend we were trappers. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, so I, you know, I, it just, as I got older and in through high school and when you start to have to think about what you want to do with your life, I had always loved movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, movies had been, you know, in my situation, a, a great escape. I had, you know, four other brothers and sisters in a very sort of noisy, lively household. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, back in those days, you know, there were triple features on Saturday that oh, I would cool. just go to and yeah, sit yeah. through, you know, all nice. these great movies. And it, and it was quiet time. And I would just allow myself to be spirited away to what, you know, whatever, you know, story was being told on screen. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you don't, I didn't really. And then of course, you know, I've already spoken about writing and how I loved creative writing, but None of those things were gelling into something that felt like a career to me. Right, right. So, you know, I'm in my senior year of high school and I have to be a little practical about what I think. And I say, well, what do I love? Well, I love the outdoors. Mm -hmm. I love the outdoors. And so, okay, well, there's a, you know, most of my friends, you know, in, when I was going to high school, there were two places you went to college, either the University of Washington, you either became a Husky Mm -hmm. Or you went across the state and became a cougar. Mm -hmm. And I just thought cougars were way cooler than huskies. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Plus, plus they offered a forestry course over at Washington State University, with in which could potentially, in my mind, have been translated into being becoming a forest ranger and mm -hmm. spending most of my life in the outdoors yeah. on horseback in the backcountry. Right. You know, the romantic version of it, right? So mm -hmm. I go to I go away to college. And I'm about a month into my courses and I'm going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what is all this biochemistry shit? <laughs> I mean, where's horseback riding? Yeah. Where's, you know, fire building 101? Where where do I learn about, you know, you know bears and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And so it, I was like, I, uh, I, yeah. so I had this, I had, yeah. yeah, total 
And so I had this epiphany and I thought, this isn't working out for me. This isn't really, doesn't feel like it's what I should be doing. So I remember really specifically the moment I, I came home after, you know, a day of classes and, and I wasn't happy. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, I just asked myself, what do you really want to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, like be honest. I mean, no matter how crazy it sounds, just what do you want to do? And I didn't even, and the, and, and the answer was, I want to, I want to write or I want to make movies. I want to be involved in movies. And without even thinking, that's the answer that came up. And so, you know, I listened to that. And Mm -hmm. I remember specifically uh, calling my folks up and saying, hey, yeah, this isn't working out over here. And and they were like, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, I think I want to go to Hollywood and make movies. And it was like silence on the other end of the phone, right? Because I, I could have said, I want to go to Mars and become a Martian. I mean, and it would have been probably not as much of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah, right. But, you know, I have to say, to my parents' credit, they were <clears throat> always supportive. Mm-hmm. I, they were like, well, we don't know anything about that. We, right. you know, uh, but, you know, look, if that's what you believe you want to do, well, you know, we'll, we support you. So, yeah. You know, and that's an important thing, too, I, I have to say, because yeah. if I had different parents in that moment, if I had parents that would have said, well, that's unrealistic, that's crazy. You can't. There's no security in that. You and believe me. And I've had friends, yeah. you know, that had artistic desires and, and ambitions who were squelched by negativity yeah. or a sense of, you you know, that's just unrealistic. You can't right. do that. Right. Uh, so I really have to give my parents a lot of credit in that moment because I was young. You know, you're yeah. young and impressionable and you listen and and they're your parents, you know. So but so they were open. They yeah. were just open. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, you know, that's great. Sh- shout out to mom and dad. There. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the ne- I literally went down to the counselor's office at Washington State University. Mm-hmm. I walked in and I said, and she was like, I said, I need to transfer. She said, okay, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go make movies. And she looked at me too, like, are you <laughs> fucking nuts? Yeah, yeah. She said, okay, well, I don't know anything about that, but let's look and see where the, you know, and in those days there were three schools, really. I mean, there was NYU and there was UCLA and there was USC. Mm-hmm. So I, I applied to USC and Again, I'm not sure why, uh, but I I got accepted right into the film school. So nice, that's awesome. So, the, so that next fall, I got on a plane. I didn't know a fucking soul. Yeah, in L.A. Yeah, I flew south. You know, that's awesome. And it, yeah. so you know, it, it's some great takeaways. It just like you said that you, you tried something that in reality you grew up doing. It was it was second nature to you, but. But when you went in and saw like kind of behind the curtain, saw how the sausage was made, you're kind of like, eh, I'm not really into this anymore. And and you had you had the balls to to kind of pivot and change directions. Um, so speaking of that, right? Spe- and I think this is a good point. Your your directorial debut, right? Mm-hmm. Last of the Dogmen, right? Over twenty years ago. But I think that that the forestry and wildlife and that part of your life if I'm not mistaken, has a direct effect of the kind of movie you wrote and directed, you know, with you're, Tom Berenger. 
You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely and, right. And by the way, Tom Berenger will forever be Jake Taylor. In my <laughs> I grew up loving Major League. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. I did. I did, too. I did, yeah. too. You know, and, I was really lucky because Tom was, you know, he was I was a first time director. And really, I, you know, I did some things OK on that movie. I didn't do well in other things. And one of the things I really regret when I think about it is that I didn't really know how to speak to actors. I didn't really know how to talk their language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and But Tom was awesome. He was patient and he understood and he just, he loved the story. So he yeah. was very supportive. He was, uh, as well was Barbara. You know, they were, That's they were great. great. That's yeah. great. So how, how did, I mean, you said it. I mean, obviously that was something very new to you, but how did you find that shift in, in roles? Uh, well, it was a little disconcerting because you basically go from, you know, a, a lonely job in front of your computer screen right. uh, to being on a set where you're being approached constantly and hundreds of questions are being fired at you and you have to make decisions and you you really have to, you know, interact with people and mm-hmm. you have to, you know, do it in a way that, you know, gets the best work out of them mm-hmm. without, you know coming off like an asshole, right? Right? So, uh, yeah, so it was a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock for Mm -hmm. me on -hmm. on that level. But, yeah, it was, um, it it, it was a great experience. And it's, you know, I mean, there's so much of me in that movie. There Mm -hmm. is, you know, I I, I wish, you know, in in hindsight, we all look at our work and we go, oh, God, you know, it's we see all the flaws. Right. Right. But, you know, to this day, I mean, I still get emails out of the blue from somebody who's seen it for the first time or I get emails. That's my dad's favorite movie. I, you know, I I bought it for him. He's watched it 50 times, you know. And so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Do you have any intentions of ever directing again? Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's funny. I, when I made that film, mm-hmm. I was at a point in my life where I was, you know, I'd been so sort of consumed with my career and, and, and then, you know, and then I met a girl. I met a girl. <laughs> That's how it always goes, right? Uh, yeah. I met a girl and, uh, and we got married and we started having kids. And so, I, you know, I grew up in a household where my father was gone a lot and he was a lawyer by day and he, he flew uh, with the Air Force uh, on weekend reserves, but he got called back to active duty during the Vietnam War. So for so big chunks of my, you know, you know, like former years. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, you know, he was gone and, or, you know, or I'd get awakened at three in the morning by my mother and say, Hey, your dad's on the phone from Saigon. Say hi, you know, kind of mm-hmm. things like that. Right. Um, and, uh, so I, I didn't want to be, I mean, you know, because when you direct a movie, you know, uh, it is an all consuming, Oh yeah. you know, 15 hour a day, two year process. And, when I started having kids, I didn't want, I wanted to be very present in their lives. I wanted to be a father. I mean, I just wanted to be a present father. So I got some offers after Dogman, but uh, I turned them down because I thought, well, you know, I'm having kids and that's, so I look at, I actually look at each 
one of my kids, each one of my six kids is potential movies I could have made. (laughs) 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 Right. I mean, that's kind of sort of, but now they're older and, and, uh, so yes, I, I, uh, the answer is yes. I'm, I'm dying to, uh, uh, get back and flex my, uh, my, and and, and mainly because I, I learned so much on that movie Mm-hmm. that I, I just haven't been able to utilize. I haven't right. been able to take to the next project. So right. I am lying to just, you know, do that. And, 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 and you, Yeah, and you said it. I mean, not to, not to cut you off, but I think what's important there is that was over 20 years ago. Dude. So you're, you, you, like you said, the amount of life experience you've had since then, coupled with the, the humbling things that you learned your first time out, yeah, anybody would be killer now, you know? So it's just a matter of finding the right project and, and, and find the right um, culmination of people to kind of, to kind of make, it, make it happen. Um, so speaking of things that help you help your career, right? Mm-hmm. You've been nominated for both an Oscar and a Razzie, right? So quite- wait, wait, a Razzie? Is that true? <laughs> quite humbling, I'm sure. On the same movie, no, no less. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are nominations like that a friendly reminder that no one's safe in Hollywood? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, look, most people will tell you that uh, any acknowledgement, whether it's good or bad, is is good. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, I got nominated for Narazzi. I, I, I don't know. I can't even remember what movie I got nominated for. I think yeah. you'll have to refresh my. But in those days, it was le- it was more of a you know it's kind of a jokey thing. Nobody yeah. really went to the things, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, so yeah, no, I it's uh, I love all that stuff. But look, I you know everybody, your work is out there, and. Some people are going to respond to it positively and some people are going to, you know, res- hate it no matter yeah. what you do. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's all, you know, I, it, it's all fair game. Once you release it out or it gets made or whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all fair game. So. so so speaking of that, what's some of the biggest things you've got in the pipeline that you can talk about? Well, you know, it's funny because. You know, the business has changed so much in the last 20 years mm-hmm. and especially the last 10 years. And um, you, uh, I think any screenwriter in Hollywood these days has to be entrepreneurial, number one, and, 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 and has to be instead of focused on, say, just live action movies or, or whatever, you, you have to have a broad spectrum. I mean, I, you know, so what happens is the horizon has widened to include all sorts of things, mm-hmm. whether it's TV series, cable, uh, web, you know, you, you, you're open to everything. Mm-hmm. You just have to be, yeah. it's, uh, you know, the times have changed. And when I came into the business, there was a real conscious choice you had to make about whether working in TV or whether it was features. Mm-hmm. And I chose features and, and, you know, and I, I you know, the, my agent's time, his advice was, look, you know, in TV, there's security, there's, you know, longevity. If you, you know, in, in features, it's all a risk. Yeah. It's, there's no, not a lot of security. I mean, it's up and down and, you know, yeah. I mean, you could get lucky and become one of the 1% that, that writes big movies, right. but even they will have down period. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so one of the things you know, when you're young and you're starting out 
is that you 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 really don't have a grasp that y- your career is cyclical that there are going to that it's like a roller coaster ride yeah, that yeah. there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows and so for the first part of my career you know i rode a trajectory that was headed high and stayed high for a long time so when there was a an adjustment it was like a huge wake up call yeah. mm-hmm. you know so that's it. So, and that was also part and parcel of really having to step back and say, okay, you cannot just focus on feature films anymore right. or you will die. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Will, you, will, you will be lost. Like they say, pet. adapt or die. Yeah. Adapt or die. So it, I've adapted uh, or, and, and a lot of people have. And in mm-hmm. fact, you're seeing this, I mean, you know, TV used to be the bastard child. Oh, of, yeah, but now it's the opposite. Everyone's, it is so the opposite because yeah. it is, you know, I mean, it's attracting great talent, great TV. I mean, it's it's a rent, it's just an amazing time. And then you look be. at streaming too. I mean, look at Netflix original series and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they, I I think they were mostly skewing pretty serious, which I'm fine with. I like, you know, House of Cards and that kind of stuff. Sure. But, but then I just recently saw one that was my my knowledge, like the first laugh track comedy series. That's on Netflix too, with uh, Ashton Kutcher and um, Danny—I forget his name—but the guy's from that '70s show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you know, I, I was shocked. Like I, I even showed my girlfriend. I was like, "This is crazy!" Like this is to me, in my understanding, this is the first time uh, uh, you know Netflix has taken on this kind of genre. And it, like you said, it goes to show like how how quickly things are changing. You know. Well. And anytime somebody says to you, I always use this as a litmus test too in meetings when I would go in and any time somebody would say, oh, you know, romantic comedies are dead. I would go home and think, write a romantic comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, just about the time somebody says, no one's ever going to make a Western tab. You know, that's when you, that's when you write one. Yeah. Because uh, it, it just, everything always comes back around. It it always does, and you know timing is is everything, right? Uh, a, a lot of it, um, but I you know it, it, when you try to second guess what people are going to like or try to guess yeah. second guess trends, you're yeah. you're shooting yourself in the foot. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me what are what are some tips and tricks that you do to stay fresh and creative with your writing? Well, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean. My kids keep me young at heart. And so I try to, you know, I think sort of staying relevant equates to staying relevant in terms of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like staying up on pop culture, staying up. I think now that, I'm not just I don't sit with my daughters and watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, <laughs> mind you. <laughs> But I know who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, my kids are a great. Uh, uh, just uh, you know, they're like little research units walking yeah, around, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I. So I talk to them, and I'm involved with them, and I know what they like, and I he- hear how they talk, and I hear how they speak, and the, so that's great. The other thing is just life experience. Yeah. You know, I went through a divorce four years ago. And I had been one of the lucky ones. I had made it to, well, somewhere in my 50s without ever <laughs> having my heart broken. I mean, how, who does that, right? Yeah. So I was devastated. And it was 
a very difficult time and I came through it and I'm out on the other side, but my writing is so much better now. It's mm -hmm. so much richer because yeah. I have so much more experience to draw from. So I, you know, I, all that kind of life experience, the good and the bad will inform your work. It mm -hmm. just can't help it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like the same thing with photographers, they always say when you're in a really down point in your life, do, you know, do work, make art, you know, and, and exactly whether that's the best thing, or like you said, it, it just changes your perspective a little bit on, on your work overall. It's usually, you know, for the best. So speaking of that, um, what, what's the biggest thing you struggle with? Well, probably the biggest thing I struggle with personally is procrastination. I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, oh God. Uh, because I have, I have, you know, uh, somehow gotten into this cycle and it goes all the way back to school. I mean, you know, I got really pretty good grades throughout school, but I wouldn't study for a test until the night before. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> okay. So somebody gives yeah. me, I, and I've got to be careful who might hear this, but a producer yeah. gives me 12 weeks to write a script. Yeah. I'm going to fuck off for 10 of those, pal. <laughs> not literally, but I yeah. mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I may spend the first 10 weeks writing the first 30 pages of yeah. the script and then bam, you know, what something, the pressure or whatever it does, it unlocks, it's a trigger mechanism mm -hmm. and it, comes gushing out. Yeah. So the next two weeks I'll write a hundred pages Yeah. and I'll just be, you know, like locked in, you know, you know, pounding diet Pepsis and just staying awake till whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, you said it, it's, uh, I was the same way and I struggle with it because you know, like we get told you're, you're, that's a bad thing, right? Like you're, if you have all this time to do it, you can take your time, you can make it better. And I would always tell myself that I would be like, all right, yeah, what if I get to jump on it now and then I'll revise it later and, and then it never fucking happens. And no, then, no. And then you sit there and go, oh, shit. All right, now I got to really lock in. And I think it's that under pressure thing that really kind of makes me and you kind of shine, right? Where it's like, absolutely, kind of do or die this mo at this point. But I think what's important too, and it took me a while to get there, was realizing that if you force it, it's not going to work either. You can no, sit there no. and stare at a blank page. So instead, all right, let's, I'll go for a walk. I'll go for a hike. I'll go for a bike ride. I'll, I'll go to the movies by myself. I'll, I'll just unplug. And, and what you realize is that when you're not trying anymore, then it might come to you, you know, and then you're sure. all in, you know, and that might happen again because of the pressure of, wow, now I got to get this done. And that kind of maybe helps get the gears moving and stuff like that. Well, and then we're always, all of us, searching for that sweet spot yeah. where we're in that spot. And, you know, for me, here's what it looks like. I sit down at the computer. I can hardly wait to get going. And I feel like I've been working for half an hour and seven hours has gone by. Yeah. Right. That's the sweet spot. And you look at the, and you don't have to go back and revise those pages six times. They're just coming from a very, they're coming from a special place. Yeah. And they just pour out of you. And that those are that's great. I mean, yeah. you know. So tell me the um so right now we're getting into the, the deeper questions, right? So oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, so tell me what's the biggest risk you've taken in your artistic career? Um 
I think, well, the, I don't know if it's a risk, but mm-hmm. you know, it, what it is, is there was a period where I was writing a lot of what everybody else wanted me to write or mm-hmm. thought I should be writing right. or, you know, like trying to be more, you know, very calculating about what I wrote. And you know, I, I, you know, for me, it, it's not a risk, but it's, it's the understanding that my best work comes from a, a place where I'm emotionally connected to what I'm writing. Right. right. And so really just trying to be true to that. Now you can't always be true to that because there are jobs that come along and, uh, you know, you know, okay, you're in a room, you're being pitched a story, you know, it's not really connecting with you emotionally, at, at least in that deep emotional place, mm-hmm. you know, you're in your core, mm-hmm. but you're also part of what screenwriting is, is being a craftsman. Yeah. You know, you can do it. Yeah. You know, I can craft that screenplay that you you need. I can do that. I mean, it may not come from my heart. And, right, you know, may not be connected to it per se. Exactly, yeah, per se, but you know I can do a good job, yeah. right? So there's those jobs, right? Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. The, the, the biggest risk I continue to take is to keep fucking doing this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because it's every day is a risk, yeah. you know, because there are, it's um, – you know, I've been doing it almost over 30 years now. Yeah. And I think back to the writers that broke in when I wrote, broke in or, or some screenwriters. Very few screenwriters have stick with it this long. Right. Uh, and so maybe I'm out of my mind, but <laughs> it's also part and parcel of not, I can't imagine doing anything else. This right. is what I love to do. Right. Right. So you take, when you, are all in like that, you take the good with the bad. You take the lean years. Mm-hmm. You take the periods where you go, fuck, man, maybe I should, maybe it's time to hang up my spurs. Uh, and then about the time you th- are thinking about that, bam, you know, something happens that yeah. comes along. And it's just, I've seen it and I've experienced it too many times, you know, you just, so never hanging up the spurs. You know, yeah, like you said, it, it's, and I, I've been there. You know, I think a lot of people who do something uh, creative for a career have those points, you know, have those points where you sit there and go, you know what? Life would be a lot easier if I just said, screw it, and took a job doing X, right? And had a stable, steady paycheck and not as much stress in terms of um, making art viable uh, commercially and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, realistically, you know that as soon as you have those moments, just something always happens, you know? Um, well, because... Bring, yeah. It brings you back in. <laughs> yes. Well, here's the thing, Jose. The truth of the matter is that everybody you've had on this podcast, mm-hmm. okay, whether they're photographers or graphic designers or writers or actors or musicians or whatever, we see the world differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just do. And you can ignore that. Right. And and some people do. And right. some people, you know, ignore it their whole lives and they go off and they 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 do. They they choose security. Right. But if you're if you're honest and you and you absolutely listen to that voice mm-hmm. and are willing to go where that voice leads you, then there's no going back. Once you commit, there's no going back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you said it. It's you know, it, it, 
Yeah. You know, because you sit there and say, I could do this, but for argument's sake, for a lot of people, it just, whether it's a, a very conscious decision or sometimes maybe it's just subconsciously, you just never really get to that point where it's even a, a viable option. Um, so tell me, because a lot of what we do, right, is balancing uh, the the good and the bad, balancing the confidence and the you know the fears. And sure. So what would so what would you say is your biggest fear creatively? My biggest fear creatively is that I'm not as good as I think I am. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I you know. I, I, I posted a picture not too long ago. I have a couple of computers I work on, on and, and uh, I, I posted a picture that to, to friends that said, this is my day. And on one computer, I, I put a yellow post-it that said, you're brilliant. And on the other computer, I put a yellow post-it that said, you suck. And that is my daily struggle, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all. We all have self-doubt. I mean, right. we all question. But... Uh, you know, I mean, it's, but it, 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 we all have answered the call too. And mm-hmm. so if we're lucky enough and, and fortunate enough to make a living, whatever that looks like at, at what we love, mm-hmm. then we are, you know, like we're in the top one percentile. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's true. You know, I wouldn't trade that for a fucking thing, dude, yeah, in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. And, you know? and, you know, you said, it, I mean, that, that, that cycle, uh, never really goes away and um you know i i for instance i really want to do um instead of like well interview style but i want to do like like panels right or series certain people so one thing i wanted to ask was like oscar winning actors or just people right actors screenwriters whatever in industry and ask them okay at that point at that moment you win an oscar for 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 whatever you want to say regarding that, right? Look at look at Leonardo DiCaprio. Twenty two years finally got his, right? But that to should be or or sensibly is the pinnacle of your career, a feather in your cap, where you sit there and say you are being acknowledged by both your peers, by you know the people in your industry, and by people in, in general, um, you know society, and that should be great. And I want to ask them how long. Did that feeling last minutes, mm-hmm. seconds, hours? Yeah. Before right. you sat there and said, holy shit, now what? You know, the sure. pressure to then, you know, repeat that success or hope that maybe it, it launches your career. But for some people, they win an Oscar and then you not they won't work for a couple of years. So, you know, that that fear is very real. But when you really think about it, it's, it's, it fucking sucks because yeah. you should be able to enjoy that moment. And not even worry about that and just say, I'm here. But yeah. as a creative, that that I'm here never really happens. No, because it, you're always, you're. I mean, you know, you're, it, tomorrow comes. Yeah. And you. it's almost like you've got to start over again on some level. I mean, it's funny, you know, I, I tell this story a little bit. Because uh, when I was nominated for an Academy Award, I was fairly young. Uh, and I kind of looked at the landscape and I knew I wasn't going to win number one. I mean, I just knew that, that, uh, that I wasn't going to win. Uh, and a buddy called me up and said, Hey, I'm going yellowtail fishing in Baja. You want to come? And it happened to be over the weekend of the Academy Awards and I knew I wasn't going to win. So I said, yeah, sure. I'll go. Let's go. So 
But here's what. So I didn't even fucking go to the Academy Awards that I was nominated for. And you know why? Because in I was like, well, I'll just go next year when I'm nominated or the year after that, you know, like. Yeah. Such the hubris of you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cut to 30 some years later, I've never been back since, right? So, I mean, you know, I guess if there was one regret in my career, mm-hmm. it would be that I would I would probably go, yeah. like you say, and, and allow myself, even young in my career, the acknowledgement and the validation of having of being recognized for my work. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, a, a postscript to that is I did... Uh, recorded on VHS that uh, tells you how long ago it was. Uh, and I watched it when I got, and Michelle Pfeiffer read my name, which oh, was awesome. Wow, that's right? cool. So, yeah, so yeah. I watched, I watched that about 30 times too. <laughs> so I think by the end I was convinced we were going out. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I think she, I think she wants me. I'm just saying, I think, just totally. saying, I, I mean, think I, I'm in. Look, I think I'm in. Look at the way she said my name. I mean, it's obvious. Uh, <laughs> So you you alluded to one of my next questions, um, but we'll go to the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, what's the most meaningful moment in your career thus far? Uh, Meaningful moment. You know, I got an email from a woman Mm -hmm. out of the blue. And it was just, it was no big deal. But it was, uh, she just wanted, she was telling me how much, you know, Last of the Dogman meant to her, how it moved her and how she loved. And she was, had Native American, you know, uh, background and how, you know, it meant so much to her and the people around her. And, and it was just so sweet. And so, so it's a little thing like that Mm -hmm. where you just go, wow, you know, you, you created something that moves somebody. You know, that's just, it to, so to me, it's little things, it's simple things like that, or sitting with my kids watching Brother Bear, right? Nice. Yeah. You know, and, and having them laugh at something that, you know, I, I, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You know. I mean, and, and it's, it's not the big stuff. It's not right. The, right. And, and, but that's also, like you said, that's where a lot of what we, people have to do, right? Sure. Because you sit there and say, the big, big things are very fleeting and the lows can be very low. But if you can make the most of those little kind of little victories, right, or little intimate moments, all that, you know, all that, the, this, you know, all that up and down kind of worth it. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the funny thing about screenwriting, too, just quickly mm-hmm. is, you know, like, unlike an artist who, you know, can do a, a painting and put it out there and have people look at it and it really just represents, you know, the, the artist, etc. or a writer who writes a novel, people will read the book. And I mean, screenwriting is the only art, right, where the screenwriter is dependent on somebody else's interpretation of their art, right, yeah. For, before it gets seen by anybody. Yeah. Nobody fucking, you know, goes on Amazon and buys a screenplay. Okay. (laughs) Right. I mean, some people do because they want to become screenwriters or whatever. They read screenplays. But the truth is I, what I do, what I write gets rarely gets seen or read by most people or anyone other than, you know, maybe directors or producers or whatever. So I and other screenwriters rely on a director's vision to translate 
my words, their words into a movie. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes what ends up on the screen isn't representative of your art or what you created. Right. So, so let me so, ask you, how do you, how do you, how do you cope with that sometimes? Uh, Jack Daniels, a lot of Jack Daniels. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Uh, well, it's Jim Bean. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, you know how you cope with it because uh-huh. you write for yourself first yeah. and foremost. Yeah, yeah. You write for yourself. I mean, I know I have scripts sitting on my shelf that I'm very proud of that either haven't been made into movies or the movies that were made of them didn't quote, weren't quite, you know, what I had right. hoped they would be. Right. Uh, that d- doesn't diminish the work I did in my mind. Yeah. Right. It yeah. just, it goes with the territory. It is what it is. Yeah, for but sure. I, you know, it's funny. I had somebody very early in my career say, you know, tab, if all you want to be is a screenwriter, if that's all you do in your career, it's going to kill your soul. And there's some truth to that yeah. because there's, and that's why, you know, like you see a lot of screenwriters gravitating towards television and cable these days because there's more control, mm-hmm. you know, there's more, they have more control. Yeah. They, they are able to, you know, put their vision on, on the, on the screen yeah. uh, and, and not be so reliant on somebody else's interpretation. Right. So, you know, the Vince Gilligans of the world mm-hmm. and, you know, the Breaking Bads and the, mm-hmm. the stuff that can burst onto the screen and just fucking sear your eyeballs because nobody has said, oh, we can't do that. Or you got to, no, change that. But right, right, that right. somebody just gets to be them, you know, like, boom, that's somebody's painting. Yeah. Like that's right there on the screen and yeah. you're watching it and, and it's awesome. And speaking of his, I, I love Breaking Bad. I'm watching uh, Better Call Saul now. And what's funny is I was never a huge X Files person, but yeah. me and my girlfriend was starting to binge that, and I didn't realize it. That's in his earlier earlier work. Um, yes, right, you know, and, right. And I've noticed that like there's a little hidden hidden uh, crumbs throughout the thing where most of his episodes have RV somewhere in one shot throughout Isn't the film, and I was like, that's hysterical. You know, when you think that, back and go, no wonder that was such a big thing so much later in his career. Where he's kind of like, I bet you no one picked up on all his RVs, and let me just make a whole thing where RV is like one of the main <laughs> characters in uh, in this in this great show. So that's pretty interesting. So, well, go ahead. Yeah. So, kind of, and I think what you just said leads me to know the answer to this question. But if you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still do it? Like, would you still write? Well, yeah. I mean, for me personally, if I would. Uh, because I don't really share my work with anybody now. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've been lucky. I've had some movies made and things, but uh, that, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the movies, I mean, you go to on my IMDB page, right. And you see, Oh, a list of credits and you know, it's cool and stuff, but that is the tip of the iceberg of the work I've done over the course of my career that will never see the light of day. My friend that no one will ever fucking read beyond somebody who read it and said, yeah, that's great. And you know, we're never making it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Right. So, yes, I would still do it. Of course. Of course. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, you know, I have no choice. I mean, yeah. I'm like you, you know, we're, we're sucked in. We're in. We're all in. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so listen, Tab, thank you for taking the time out today uh, and, and speaking with us. So just the last two, uh, obviously, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Uh 
I'm not sure. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I do. I'm working on a lot of projects right now. Uh, I mean, you know, when you say check out my stuff, that, uh, as it, when you say that to a screenwriter, it usually means movies that have been made from your scripts. Right, so right. I guess just keep watching my IMDb page I, you know, <laughs> for, for updates. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's, I don't have a website. I don't sort of promote myself in that mm-hmm. regard, but mm-hmm. uh, which uh, just quickly also yeah. that something that, you know, I wanted to mention too, like I started out, I was very naive about what I was about in terms of Hollywood and, and, and the business aspect of Hollywood. I just thought, doing what I do. I'll just do what I do. Good writing will get noticed. The rest will take care of itself, right? So there's a reason they call it show business. And I think there's a balance that you have to achieve with certain aspects of your career, right? That Mm -hmm. may not be the most fun, but which is taking care of it. It's a business. You're a business. I'm a business, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, if I had to go back and do everything over again, that's probably the one thing I would spend more time on. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, like you said, I'll be honest for me personally, I would love to, to get a peek into what your daily work is like or what your workflow is like. And, and you sit there and think, well, for a lot of people who maybe were back in the analog days and watching the transition, you look at a lot of the stuff that goes on and just think, well, it's stuff that your kids do. But, Correct. you know, people also realize that, you know, with things like medium and other sites and, and Instagram, where you might just even just post a picture of you just at your laptop or whatever, or or a blank page, you know, kind of alluding to uh, how it, it, it sometimes is that hard, you know, and and that would give people kind of yeah, kind of a little peek in, into what you do and and how how different it is from traditional novelists or 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 creative writing and stuff like that. Um, like you said, that it's not exactly the the same, you know, and exactly, and and I think definitely, I would I would definitely say look into it, you know, and you're never yeah. too old to learn learn new tricks and that kind of thing. Well, and because uh, I and I, I have love to I have six kids to yeah. to the, that there. so okay, well, let me just say, follow me on Instagram. There you go. <laughs> there, you go. <laughs> there you go. You have your little crack research team. Just that's all right, it, kids. Set me up on all these things, and right, I'll just right. start doing it, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know. Well, but, it's um, funny. It's funny you mentioned that too, because I, you know, on Facebook once in a while, I'll post something that's similar to like what I do, and mm-hmm. and I always underestimate the interest in it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of interest in it. And I was, I'm shocked actually, you know, it's just me. I'm just here at my computer, but no, people are interested in the process in the creative process, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, yeah, for sure. Good. It's a good point. Yeah. Uh, So Tab again, thank you so much for, for taking the time out. I had a great time. I hope you did too. Oh, I had a ball. Are awesome, you awesome. It was a lot of fun. So last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? You know who I want to nominate, if I could, yeah. is a good buddy. His name is Kevin McTurk. He is a band of visual effects. He's been in visual effects for 20 years, and he's worked on some of the coolest movies, right? Wow. Yeah. But he has this little sideline passion. Mm-hmm. At, which are puppets and he oh, made a wow. short he made a short film mm-hmm. with puppets last year called the mill at calder's end hmm. and it's been traveling the the uh festival circuit around the world and winning tons of awards oh, wow. 
Now, you just have to understand when I say puppets, I'm not talking like, you know, world police puppets or Thunderbirds Go puppets. I'm talking, <laughs> he uses Japanese bunraku puppets. They're like three feet tall. Oh, They're wow. sculpted. They're so realistic. He's, you know, so I was so knocked out by this short film, yeah. uh, which is available on Blu-ray, by the way, from thespiritcabinet.com. Uh, I was so knocked out by the short film. I went up to him afterwards and I didn't know him. I mean, I just said, look, dude, if you ever want to do anything, I want to write it. I mean, because this is just the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. And so he called me a few months later and he said, uh, were you serious about that? I said, yes. So we've hatched this really cool series idea, uh, about uh, he's a big samurai nut. I'm a big samurai nut, lone wolf and cub, all of that. so we've we've cooked up this cool story that's kind of, you know, supernatural fantasy samurai on a quest for revenge story. And it's all going to be done with puppets and all being oh, filmed. That's cool. So we're, uh, you know, we got some executive producers on board. And so that's that's really just a fun kind of uh, thing I'm working on with awesome. him. But but I think you would find him fascinating. Yeah. So we'll definitely. Uh, we'll definitely be reaching out, and and as always, if you, uh, the people that we talk to when they when they um suggest someone, if they want to make a nice warm introduction, it definitely helps too. But, oh, I'll be happy to. I'll be happy to. Awesome, That'd awesome. Be awesome. Well, listen, thank you, Tav, for taking the time out. Uh, I had a great time chatting with you, and uh, we'll see you again soon. I hope so. That was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you guys asking me. And thank you, Renee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Tav. Take care. 